Today's reading comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Would you stand with me, please? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who, who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he completes according to, competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for this very clear instruction that we are to make disciples. I pray for us as a church, I pray that your Holy Spirit would gather people uh, together and through our witness, many people might be saved. I pray that as, as you do continue to gather more and more of us together here in this church, that you would lead us in discipleship, give us a vision for how we might train one another in godliness and in knowledge of the truth and in salvation. This morning, as we take a look at your word, I pray that you would speak through me in spite of my shortcomings as a man and a pastor. I thank you, Lord, that you have called me to this church. I pray that you would help me to be effective for your name's sake. I pray for the elders, the stewards, for the members, that we would labor together for the cause of Christ. I ask that you would bless us, that your Holy Spirit would do a great work in us and a marvelous work through us for the building up of your church and for your glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning's text is a great text for understanding Jesus Christ a little bit more clearly. Uh, the text is all about making disciples. And what do we know about Jesus after uh, he was crucified and buried and he rose again? And then for 40 days he appeared to his disciples uh, and he taught them uh, many things and he prepared them for discipleship. He was going to ascend into heaven. He said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and he will guide you in all truth, and you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and then as he was ascending up into heaven, he gave the church, every local church, our church, our vision, our mission, with all authority, Jesus said, that has been given to me, all authority in heaven and on earth, 
I charge you to what? Make disciples. Make disciples. So if we want to understand the heartbeat of Jesus Christ, we have to understand what he's asked us to do. And what he has asked us to do is to make disciples. He hasn't asked us uh, to just go through the motions of, of religion. He said, when you gather together, set yourselves to this, making disciples, teaching everyone to obey my commands. And we are to do this in the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit. He says, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. When is the end of the age? The end of this age is when Jesus Christ returns. So it's not as though Jesus left us and then said, you know, good luck down here on earth. He says, but I am with you. And how is he with us? He is with us because he and the Father has sent, uh, have sent us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit who indwells us, empowers us to understand the scriptures. He empowers us to make disciples. Which means that the measure of success in any local church is whether or not disciples are being made. It is very possible for us to gather here for one year, for five years, for ten years, for thirty years for 50 years, and to make very few disciples. But the measure of success from God's point of view is not how many are we. It, it isn't how many events do we do. It isn't uh, uh, what could we do that's spectacular uh, in and of itself, but is it producing the fruit of discipleship in one another? That's how Jesus measures our success. That's the only measurement that really means much of anything at all. To put it another way, if disciples are not being made at South Shore, then we are failing to do what Christ has called us to do. And this is intimidating, isn't it? It means that if we collectively, and if we're going to grow collectively, if we individually and in our families don't see changes in our lives, if, if we're not being conformed more to the image of Christ, if, if we can't look back on our life and say, you know, I'm different than I was last year, I'm different than I was five years ago, then the fact is then we're not making disciples. And the goal is not that we're ever perfect. It's not that we're looking for perfect people. We're definitely not, we're not trying to go out and evangelize people that are already filled with perfect righteousness. Our goal is to stumble along together, and, and the only thing that matters is that we see progress progress. And that, that'll save us from a whole lot of legalism and comparison games. We want to be a changing people. And so today's preaching text is really the quintessential discipleship preaching text. This is the text. I mean, we always go to the end of Matthew's gospel at the beginning of, of Acts to say, well, we're supposed to make disciples. But, but in the pastoral epistles, this is the discipleship text. And, and what, I, what I'm really excited about with this text is we find out it's not that complicated. Uh, the, the, the instruction to make disciples is intimidating because it means that we must be changing. We must see growth and progress in our own lives and our lives of our family, the lives of this church. Uh, that's intimidating because it means we can't just go through the motions. It means we have to actually dig deep, challenge ourselves. But the good news is the process itself is not complicated. 
It, it's not complicated at all. And we're going to see it here in this text. Now, first, a word about context. As we get into this text, we have to understand that it exists within a particular context. And, and the context from last week was that Timothy had implemented the instructions that Paul had given him, and we find those instructions in 1 Timothy, and that's what we're endeavoring to do as a church. And so there was a little bit of resistance, some opposition in his church, and he was feeling the pressure. And so 2 Timothy is a letter that, that is to encourage him, to strengthen him, to say, you've got to keep going. Don't, don't worry about the opposition. Don't worry about the resistance. Keep going. And so verse 1 of chapter 2 summarizes all of that for us. It gives us the context. And so we see verse 1 of chapter 2 is a hinge verse. It wraps up chapter 1 and it opens up chapter 2. So let's just take a look at verse 1 to get us started. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See how this is a hinge verse. You then. He said, in light of chapter 1, you. Uh, read ch chapter 1. In, in light of chapter 1, you. My child. That reminds us of verse 2, right? To my beloved child. To, to, to the child that I love. The, the child that has faithfully implemented my instructions from 1 Timothy. Be strengthened. In other words, keep going. Uh, I'm with you. Your mo mom is with you. Your grandmother is with you. My ancestors are on your side. The Lord Jesus Christ is with you. Keep going. Don't worry about any resistance or opposition. Keep going. Be strengthened. Then he says, and be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we see here a paradox in, in the Christian life. Be strengthened. That's an exhortation. That's an imperative in, uh, command. You, you must strengthen yourself. Gird yourself up for this work. Uh, and then he says, but, but do it in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's sort of like one of my favorite verses in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says... Uh, Jesus appeared to all these people after he was raised. Finally, as the last of the people that he appeared to, he appeared to me. And after he appeared to me, I set my heart to work hard. In fact, I worked harder than any of the other apostles. That's quite a thing to say. I worked harder than Peter and James and John and, and everyone else. And I think if you understand Paul, he's saying, I, I had to work harder because I was more opposed than anyone in the world was opposed to Christ. So I worked harder to, to overcome that. And then he goes, he says, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God at work in me. So there's this paradox. Be strengthened by the grace of God. In other words, just open yourselves up to the grace of God. Uh, pray for the grace of God to, to, to give you a great resolve to keep going, to be strong. And that launches us then into verses 2 through 7, which is, don't just be strong, but set your heart, set your mind, set your efforts to the hard work of making disciples. And so I love, you know, the things that Paul didn't say. He didn't write him a letter and say, oh, life is so hard for you in that local church in Ephesus. Uh, you know, just go around moping. You're, you're right to be discouraged. Just, just be defeated. You know, I, if I was there, I would cry with you. No. 
He says, be strengthened, be strong. Open yourselves up by prayer to the grace of God. Remember what you're, whose you are, and then get busy doing the work of discipleship. Stop worrying about the resistance and the opposition. Don't, don't allow those names and those, those people to, to haunt you and to get you down and to, to be obstacles in your way, but get busy. Get to work. Turn the page. Make disciples. And, and we see this because uh, in verse 2, there's a, a conjunction or a link, the word and. So, in light of chapter 1, I'm writing this to encourage you. I want you to be strong. I want you to open yourself to the grace of Christ and get to work. What you have heard from me, I'm reading from verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I like this. What you have heard from me, Paul modeled what he's about to ask Timothy to do. I discipled you, now you disciple other people. And I didn't disciple you in a closet. I didn't disciple you in private. Uh, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, I discipled you in the presence of the church. People watched that. I discipled you through my letters to you. Uh, my letter that I wrote to you, what we call First Timothy, that was my discipleship of you. What you've heard from me in written form, and you've in, showed that to the whole church, in front of many witnesses. And by the time Paul wrote 2 Timothy, this is the last letter that Paul wrote, everything that Paul wrote in our Bibles has already been written and circulated. So in other words, gather together my words, which are in print, lay those words before the church, and entrust those words to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And this is where we get our 17th instruction. If, I see a couple of new faces. So we're, we're going through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And what we're doing is we're uh, finding instructions that we can implement. This is the 17th instruction that we get. 15 in 1 Timothy. Then we had 16th instruction in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. And this is the 17th instruction. This is the instruction. Intentionally select... And strategically disciple faithful people. This is what Jesus wants us to do in the church. Intentionally select and strategically disciple faithful people. Let's take a closer look at this instruction just by breaking it down in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 intentionally select. Why, why do we say that the instruction begins with intentionally select? Why, why not just uh, throw up discipleship for everyone? And, and there's a sense in which we do that. That's what we're doing now, right? It's an open door. Anyone off the street can come in. And, and in the preaching of the word, the goal is to disciple everyone. So that's our strategy on Sunday morning. Discipleship through the preaching of the word for everyone. But we must go beyond that. That can't be the extent of our discipleship efforts. So in addition to mass discipleship through the preaching of the word, we also want to intentionally select some people. 
which by definition is discriminatory. It means that not everyone is going to be discipled in the same way. Let's break this down into two parts. Why do we say intentionally select? Well, it starts with entrust to faithful men. Before we take a look at the word faithful, which is that intentional selection piece, I just want to talk about the word men. In the Greek, this word men is anthropos. Anthropos. Now, that word means human being. It is a genderless word. Uh, That word means uh, a person, a human being, a man or a woman. I know that because the Greek word for man is aner. Aner. The Greek word for woman is gune. And the word for men and women is anthropos. So, So this is not about just select men, male people, but intentionally disciple men and women, faithful men and women. Now, in the most narrow sense, if we were to look at this, there is an intentional discipleship of male leadership in the church, and I'm not denying that. Uh, There is a sense in which we need to find potential leaders in the church who will be men, and we need to disciple them to be leaders in the home, and we need to disciple them to be leaders in the church. But this principle of finding faithful people and discipling them so that they can disciple other people is true for women also. And when we get to Titus 2, we're going to see that the male eldership of the church needs to find faithful women who are qualified and disciple them so that they can disciple other women. So the principle is find, find faithful people, men and women, and disciple them so that they can teach other people. Now you'll notice that, that Paul doesn't say just find anybody and disciple them. He says find faithful people. Faithful people. What does this mean? In the broadest sense, it means believers. Focus in on the people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have embraced the gospel. That, that's in the broadest sense. But, but if we take a look at the context of chapter 1, remember the context, right? There's resistance, there's opposition. Uh, so faithful here goes beyond just believers, because believers can also be resistant, Believers can also say, I'm not fully on board with where the church is going. And so Paul says, don't worry about all those people. Turn the page. Get busy. Get to work with faithful people. In other words, get get to work with the people that are on side. Find the people that, that want to journey with you. And almost close your ears to everything else. Find the people that are keen. Find the people who are supportive. Find the people that want to be discipled. Find the people that that are not oppositional. Find the people to whom your investment will count. Find the people to whom are open to your instruction and your discipleship. And disciple them. That's where the intentionally select piece of the 17th instruction comes in. In a group of people, there will always be those who are more keen than others. The more keen a person is, the more important it is that we find those keen people and disciple them. So so if you want to be discipled, choose to be keen. Choose to to be uh, front row sitters. I don't see any of you up here. (laughs) 
You don't need to be in the front row, but you know what I mean, the, the image. Uh, say, you know, every time there's a Bible study, I'm there. Every time there's an opportunity to pray together, I'm there. Every time the church is gathering together, I'm there. I, I'm coming with questions. I'm reading my Bible myself. I, I want to be keen. And if you show yourself to be keen, then you will be strategically selected to be discipled. Avail yourself of every opportunity to be discipled. Uh, there is a certain amount of motivation that the pastor and elders and leaders in the church must do. It's true. We must uh, encourage and motivate and say, hey, this is a great thing to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, we, don't, we do not want to be a church that says you have to be here. You have to come to this discipleship opportunity. You have to go to that event because then that becomes legalism. And, and the sweetness of the spirit of the people that are gathered is rottened. Or ruined. We want people who want to be there. So I can't make that happen for you. No one can except for the Holy Spirit. And your own desire to invite him to make you keen. And, and to be honest with you. Even when I'm leading Bible studies. I do not want to go to every single Bible study that I am scheduled to be at. That's confessions of a pastor. You know, some nights are cold, some nights are dark, some nights I'm not feeling very good, uh, some nights I'm tired. Uh, some nights I just don't want to make the effort to get to Bible study or to prayer night or Sunday morning. But I go, not just because it's my job. And I really believe that this is increasingly true of me. Uh, that I go because I know that if I go, by the time I leave, I'm glad I was there. So I just want to, I, I share that about myself, because I'm sure I'm not the only one that has the, that last-minute struggle. Ah, it doesn't matter if I miss this one. Uh, but, well, it does matter. It's really hard to build momentum, right? Discipling people, if people don't show up, we can only go uh, uh, as deep and as far as, as you, the church, will enable us to go. Without buy-in, without participation, without people, there's very little that we can do to fulfill this instruction. Uh, now, that said, uh, we will go with the few or the many that choose to be keen. So that's where this intentionally uh, select piece of our instruction comes in. It's not that we're trying to keep people out. Uh, the more the merrier. It's that we can't worry about the people that opt out. Because that can be discouraging uh, and, and it's counterproductive. So, so Paul says to Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, faithful people, keen people, invested people, people who want to be discipled. And then we keep going and the second part is strategically disciple. So just as we want to select the right people, the keen people, the people who are opting in, we want to strategically disciple. And you want to pour your efforts into those who will be able to teach others also. So invest yourself in those who will be able to teach others also. So there is a sense in which we want to find out 
who are the people who are going to make an effort to reproduce themselves? If, if I or, or someone invests in your life, is it likely that you will take that information and you will then pour that into someone else's life? You see, discipleship is a chain. It, it's not just throwing a bunch of things up against the wall and hoping that some of it sticks. It's an intentional chain where someone pours into another who pours into another, and that's how we grow as a church. Now, we're all gifted differently, and so it's not as though we're only going to be investing in teachers, those who have been gifted with teaching. We want to strategically disciple everyone according to the gift that they have, and every one of you has a gift. And, and so we want to work with your God-given personality, your God-given giftedness, and we want to help you to maximize that gift so that you can pour that gift into another. That's where the strategically disciple piece comes in. Don't disciple everybody the same. We're not all the same. And so, so we need to figure out who are the people that we're discipling and, and tailor our discipleship individually, uniquely for everyone. Having said this, we are going to make a special effort to gather those who are gifted in teaching and who desire to teach, both men and women, so that we can give them Every opportunity to teach. I should not be the only teacher in this church. And the goal is that I will increasingly teach only the teachers. In addition to Sunday morning. And the teachers will then teach the, the church. And you see that sets us up to disciple hundreds of people. Whereas uh, if I am the, the, the main or the only teacher, we can maybe disciple 50, 60. That's even maybe too many. But if I teach the teachers, and the teachers teach more teachers, and then we gather into smaller groups and we're teaching each other uh, that way, then we will maximize our efforts. We will, not only that, we'll use the gifts of the people that are here. God's given people the gift of teaching. Why would I want to rob people of that gift? So we want to strategically disciple those who will be able to teach others also. See, Jesus gave us this example. Jesus preached to the crowds, to the masses, but then there came a point where he selected 12 and he gathered 12 to himself. And from the 12, he poured into those 12 more than he poured into the masses. Uh, but then of those 12, he selected three. Peter, James, and John. And he would take those three away from time to time. And he would pour into them a little bit more than the rest of the 12. And then he, he would take Peter aside more often than James and John. And he would say, Peter, I, I need to get you ready for when I go. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And what Jesus is talking about there is discipleship. Teach. Teach the teachers to teach more teachers. To teach, to teach, to teach in a chain reaction so that we can be teachers. And that's what we want to do. I'm, I'm going to, uh, as a pastor, spend most of my time with the elders, with the stewards, and with prospective elders. 
and with prospective teachers. And then we're going to equip and empower those people to go out and to make more disciples. And we're going to, mo- we're going to model this as a church based on what Jesus has shown us and taught us. The rest of this passage is meant to encourage Timothy in his efforts of disciple-making. And it's divided into three illustrations. So there's an introduction, and then there's three illustrations, and then there's a conclusion. And basically, what Paul is going to say is, I want to encourage you in what I've just shared with you about discipleship. I want you to strategically choose people who are keen, and intentionally choose people who are keen, and then I want you to strategically disciple them so that you can multiply my efforts, Timothy, and you can multiply your efforts, and you can make disciples in the local church. So let's take a look there at verse 4. He says, no soldier gets entangled in... Oh, sorry, verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So again, we have to remember the broader context. This verse is the introduction of the remaining verses. And Paul says, look, I know it's hard. There are people who resist, but just suffer your ministry as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In other words, I want you to not worry about anybody else, but worry about what Jesus Christ has asked you to do. He is your commander-in-chief. Therefore, listen to what he wants you to do and do it. What does Jesus want us to do? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So basically what Paul is saying in verse 3 is, block out all the other noise. Focus in on your mission. That's instructive for us as a church. Block out all the other noise single-mindedly set yourselves collectively on the Great Commission. Don't worry about everything else. Make disciples. Now we get into the three illustrations. So the first illustration is the illustration of a soldier. Second illustration is the illustration of an athlete. And the third illustration is the illustration of a farmer. Then we have the conclusion where he says, think over these things. The Lord will help you to understand why these three illustrations will motivate you to fulfill the Great Commission. Let's take a look at them in order. So the first one is the illustration of the soldier, which he already introduced in verse 3. Verse 4, he says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So remember, this is written to a pastor first, but these principles are not just for the pastor of the church. It's it's true for every disciple maker in the church. And who are the disciple makers in the church? Everyone, right? That's the whole principle of verse 2. And what you've heard from me, entrust to faithful people who will be able to make disciples of other people. So, So these illustrations are not just for the pastor. They're for all disciple makers of which we want you to be disciple makers in the church. And so, so listen what he says. He says, 
A dis- like, as a disciple maker, you are like a soldier. So, so when you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to fulfill the Great Commission? Uh, well, you're going to make disciples. And as a disciple maker, you have to think of yourself as a soldier. What does that mean? Well, it starts by identifying who your enlisting officer is. And we've already talked about this. Jesus is our enlisting officer. And he has given us our commands. He's enlisted us to duty. And he has commissioned us with a mission, which is to make disciples. Therefore, when he says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, rather his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This is helpful for a pastor. It's helpful for every member in the local church. How easy is it for us to get entangled in what he calls civilian pursuits? What is a civilian pursuit? Well, if you're a soldier, civilians aren't worried with the orders that are coming down the chain from the commander-in-chief. They're they're busy with their lives. They're distracted by their own lives. They're not worried about fulfilling the the will of the enlisting officer. And, And so civilian pursuits distract from the mission. So fill in the blank, whatever it is. Gossip, slander, worldliness. Uh, Anything that would distract from the mission of making disciples. Now just pause for a moment. Can you think of any civilian pursuits that you've been a part of in your experience in the church? Anything that had nothing to do with making disciples. Paul says... As a disciple maker, you must think of yourself as a soldier. Which means you're devoted to making disciples and everything else is just noise that you block out. It means as soldiers, we gather together on Sunday to hear from God through his word. And then we set our heart to put it into practice. It means that we say, uh, this is not helping to make disciples in the church. Therefore, I'm not going to be a part of it. It means we don't worry about the naysayers, the resistant, the opposition to talk about the context. We seek to please Jesus, our enlisting officer, by making disciples. It's simple enough. Second illustration, we're not just like soldiers, we're like athletes. Verse 5, isn't that nice that we get to be athletes? I I was an athlete once, distant memory. Uh, So if you've ever wanted to be an athlete, you can be an athlete in the church uh, by being a disciple maker. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. As disciple makers. We are like athletes. We need to think of ourselves as athletes. Now, what is the goal of every athlete? This is to be crowned. Uh, if you're a hockey player, what's your goal? To lift up the Stanley Cup, right? Uh, if you're a sprinter at the Olympics, what's your goal? Uh, to, to be the fastest over 100 meters, to, to stand at the top of the podium and to receive that gold medal. If you're a figure skater, what's your, what's your goal? Not to fall, right? 
to, to, to stand on the podium. We have the Olympics coming up. If you're an athlete, I know the old mantra, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose, is how you play the game, but that's just not true. <laughs> Winning matters if you're an athlete. Now, we should instruct our, our children to be good sports, obviously, uh, but, but if you're an athlete, a serious competitive athlete, you want to win. You want to be crowned. And what Paul says here, if you're going to win, you have to compete according to the rules. What does that mean? There's so much that we could do. You know, we could overflow this room fairly easily if we decided not to compete according to the rules. We, we could do all the right things to be attractive to the world. Uh, we, could, we could tickle ears. We could, we could change what we do so that we are just a great show. We could go through the motions. We could be uh, very uh, effective and excellent. We could be uh, um, very, um, what, the word I'm looking for is, uh, jaw-dropping is not the word, but you know what I mean. We, we could do everything we needed to do to grow to a thousand people fairly easily but if we don't compete according to the rules. Competing according to the rules means if, if you bypass the Scriptures, if you try to build a church without the Word of God, if you try to go through the motions without saying, you know, we actually have to uh, read and understand and adhere to and implement and conform to the Word of God, then we'll be disqualified at the end anyway. And, and what he means is there, there are going to be many, many, many people who have uh, exceptional church experiences that at the end of their days they die and they meet Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm not impressed with any of it. I don't care how many thousands of people uh, you worshipped alongside. I'm not impressed. You're disqualified. Because you didn't compete according to the rules. And, and in the context of this letter, what, what Paul is saying is, don't give up on 1 Timothy. Those are the rules in the immediate context. An athlete is disqualified if he doesn't compete according to the rules. Stick close to 1 Timothy. Implement those instructions. And don't worry about the resistance. Don't worry about what happens. Don't worry about the fact that the other Ephesians, the unsaved Ephesians, aren't that interested in what you're doing. Persevere. Do it. Because at the end of the day, if you don't compete according to the rules, you don't get the crown. Therefore, as disciple-makers, what are we discipling? We're not discipling our own wisdom. We don't want to disciple chicken soup for the soul. We don't, we don't want to come up with motivational slogans. We don't want to be light on the Word of God. We want to even sometimes say the hard things because that's what God has said through His Word. We want to do it with love and gentleness, sensitivity. We're going to say, look... In our quest to make disciples, this is the rule book. Therefore, we compete for the crown, the crown of life, by implementing 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, the New Testament, the Old Testament, the Bible. We commit ourselves to it. 
And, and this is meant to be encouraging, right? Paul, Paul's trying to encourage Timothy. Just keep on keeping on with what I've instructed you to do. Thirdly, Paul says, making disciples is a lot like farming. Take a look at verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. As a disciple maker, you are like a hardworking farmer. In order to understand this, I want to give you four observations. Observation number one. Ever since Adam and Eve ate that fruit, to be a farmer is toilsome, burdensome work. By the sweat of your brow, you shall bring forth food from the ground. The ground is cursed with thorns and thistles, with extreme temperature, too much rain, not enough rain. Nutrients get sucked out of the soil. To be a farmer is to toil in hostile conditions. Now, we've gotten pretty good at farming, relatively speaking, but it's still a hard occupation. We're still working with a cursed creation. That's observation number one. Connect that with discipleship. Making disciples is necessarily doing something within hostile conditions. We should never think that just because we're in the church that we're not in hostile conditions. Uh, we have to work hard because all, every one of us still wrestles with a sin nature. Not to mention unsaved people among us. Not to mention, hopefully, new believers or, or unsaved people that come into the church. We are going to be making disciples in hostile conditions. And there's going to be resistance, even in ourselves. I'm going to resist my own discipleship efforts. And so will you. That, that's important. That's helpful, isn't it? To know that. Observation number two, a farmer cannot make his crops grow. A farmer works hard to produce a harvest, and at the end of the day, he's totally helpless. None, not one of us can make a disciple grow. I can't make anyone come to faith. I can't make anyone grow in the faith. We can't beat discipleship into one another. It just doesn't work that way. I can't even make myself grow. I need the help of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to give me growth. Third observation, and maybe you've already thought about this. Nevertheless, a farmer can give his crops the best possible chance for growth in this hostile environment. So what, so what does a farmer do? Well, he, he plows up the ground. He tills the soil. He chooses um, the right seed for the climate. He plants in the right season. He fertilizes the soil. I live around farms. He puts manure on the fields at the right time of year. He irrigates the soil. If, if you're not getting enough rain or water, you, you irrigate it to bring water in. If you're getting too much, uh, uh, then you need to drain the water away. Uh, he gives seasonal rest for the ground so that the nutrients can uh, regain themselves. And 
Farmers, even unbelieving farmers, find themselves praying. Praying for a harvest. There's a lot to be learned about discipleship there, isn't there? We must plow up the field. We must go out there and, and bear witness to the gospel. We need to persuade people, help people to see where their worldview falls short. We need to choose the right seed for the climate. We're not evangelizing in El Salvador. We're, we're evangelizing and we're trying to make disciples in Canada. We're not in South Korea. You know, in South Korea, discipline's not a problem. I went to seminary with a lot of South Koreans. Man, they work hard. Nobody has to tell them to study their Bible. Now, they've got other issues that they have to deal with. But there's a certain amount, in Canada, there's a certain amount of motivation that is required. We need to encourage one another along. So we need to choose the right seed. We need to approach discipleship as Canadians. We need to plant in the right season. You don't want to load too much on somebody at the wrong time. But then again, you don't want to give them too little. Then we need to fertilize. And sometimes fertilizer smells like manure. Uh, You've got to encourage the growth. And sometimes that can be hard. We need to irrigate. Sometimes you need to say, you need more water. You need to be reading your Bible more. Sometimes you to say, you know what? You're, you're studying so much, but you're not interacting with anybody. Uh, we need to give seasonal rest. Now, even in the planning of preaching, we have to decide, you know what? We've given a lot of instructions. It's time to do some sort of systematic theology for a while. And then we need to pray. We need to pray for one another, for our own discipleship efforts, for our evangelism. Because at the end of the day, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. We're totally dependent, just as a farmer is dependent, on the Holy Spirit to give us the growth. Which brings us to our, the fourth observation. A farmer enjoys the harvest, even though he didn't cause the growth. We work hard, and even though we do not cause the growth, just as a farmer does not cause the growth, uh, a farmer, those who are giving themselves to the work of discipleship, are said to enjoy the harvest. What does that mean? Well, first, it means in this life we get to enjoy the fruit of our labor as the church matures. More than that, when we go to heaven, we meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you know, because of your hard work and because of the harvest that I am reaping because of your hard work and because of my grace, I'm going to reward you with a harvest with the first share of the crops. Therefore, we must work hard for the harvest by giving the church the best possible chance at spiritual growth. Let's bring all of this together. Instruction 17. Intentionally select and strategically disciple faithful people. We need to do this by being soldiers in a single-minded devotion to the command of our uh, enlisting officer, not being entangled by civilian pursuits, but saying, you know what, I don't care about any of that. I'm only concerned in the making of disciples in my own family, in my own life, and in this church. We need to be like athletes who compete for the crown by competing according to the rules. Our discipleship efforts are rooted always in the Word of God. 
We need to be like hardworking farmers. Who we, we know that we cannot cause the growth, but we work hard to give the church and the people that we share the gospel with every possible opportunity for growth uh, by working hard for their good. And if we do that as a church, if we commit ourselves to this one instruction, are you ready to see what the Holy Spirit will do among us? Do you know that this is the will of God? This, this is what Jesus wants from us. He wants to make disciples in and through us. So if we say we are devoted to this, I can't even tell you what the Lord will do in one year, let alone five. He will send us people to disciple. The Lord is looking for churches that set their hearts and their minds and their efforts to intentionally selecting and strategically discipling faithful men. You want to do this with us? I want to do it with you. Let's pray that the Lord would give us a harvest. Oh Lord, we want to make disciples. We want to be a church uh, that fulfills the Great Commission. Help us to be like soldiers, like athletes, like farmers. Lord, we know that in all of this, we are entirely dependent on you. You have given us the command. You have given us the rules. And you will give us the growth. We depend on you and we invite you. Do a good work among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.